listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Oh, yeah, man. Time for another week of the GGTMC. Oh, oh, fuck, man. Wait a minute. Did we lose that bet? Yep. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Yo, tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna really, really, really wanna zig a zig. If you want my future, forget my past. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I'm your host, the Samurai, and across the border, across the border, across the border from me is my good pal, Big Willie. We are ready to rock on a show we lost a bet on, and uh, we're going to try to stay optimistic as much as possible. Thank you, Bill and Chris, and uh, keep uh, keep rolling with this thing. We, uh, for those of you who might be new to the show, we uh, lost a bet to Outside the Cinema, one of our sister shows, and you can check them out at outsidethecinema.com. And uh, they chose some content for us, a little bit of payback on their end for some stuff we chose for them. They were interesting choices. They totally went away that we didn't think they would go. So uh, I have to give them credit for that. It was very inspired. <laughs> I have to at least give them that credit. Yeah, that it was. That it was. Very inspired. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we've had a interesting weekend here. Uh, normally on the weekends I'm looking forward to the movies I'm going to be watching and uh, this weekend it was a bit of a bit of a monster but uh, I, made, I made it through. I'm okay. I'm on the other end of that so everything should be fine. Uh, only a couple other things I need to go over here at the beginning. I just would like you guys to still keep voting for us over at uh, Podcast Alley. Vote from our website ggtmc.com. That, uh, that's really helping us out. We're doing very well this month legitimate votes I'm proud to say so we appreciate all that all the support and uh, also the itunes reviews guys please don't stop on the itunes reviews we've kind of come to a halt on itunes reviews so if you guys are getting the show through itunes please keep uh or not not keep i should say but uh if you haven't left a review yet please do because that really helps as well yeah another thing i mean we don't ask for anything we don't get paid to do this all we ask is that we can take you know 10 minutes of your time a month or, or not even i mean write a review and that's it it's done and then vote for us once a month and and that's all we ask in return and just you know to keep involved with the show but right right just know. just tell us you love us leave the five stars tell us you love us move on <laughs> yep very simple and you know and you know you love us so might as well go to break here we'll keep the intro nice and short and uh, hop into the review so popsyndicate.com reviews of all the hottest movies music authors comics books and more home of the pop syndicate message boards and the best media related podcasts and internet radio in the world check it all out at www.popsyndicate.com
All right, so we are back from break, and uh, we're going to jump into a uh, a little film known as uh, 2003's uh, From Justin to Kelly. Uh, I I think I'll go ahead and kick it over to you for a plot synopsis, and then I'll take the lead on the review on this one. So uh, if you don't mind giving us a little plot synopsis for this uh, wonderful little film. Sure, I would be happy to do that. Okay, the plot synopsis go out though something like this, and I don't even need to worry. About, wow, this is so long. Um, okay, um, I can't believe how long it is. It's like it's like a paragraph. Okay, <laughs> let me go back. That's what she said. If, I think there's a Reader's Digest condensed version in the, in the previous page here. Thanks for great podcasting. <laughs> Essentially, what it is, if I can uh, sort of uh, pull this thing comes up, um, it is your sort of basic um, tale of two American idols, lonely, sexually repressed man, a depressed woman in a summer camp. On this fateful night, they'll meet in their hearts, will meet in their hearts, will go in 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 hearts. That is the worst plot synopsis I've ever read. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do that again. Essentially, what you have is you have it's spring break, Miami. You a group of girls from Texas coming down, a group of boys in Pennsylvania, I believe, coming down. And it's about these sort of shenanigans and mishaps that ensue along the way to love between Dustin and Kelly. Oh, how sweet. How wonderful. <laughs> now, since I would normally say since so I picked this or you picked this, since we got forced into doing this at gunpoint, practically, I'll kick it over to you for some review notes. Okay. Um the most interesting thing that pops out to me about these uh, two films right away is that uh, we always look for a common thread between movies uh, that we review. And even it's weird, even when we have listener content or somebody else pick a film, we tend to have some type of similarity in them and, and whatnot. Like, luckily, this week there were no rapes. But there was... Uh, the fact that both of these films were written... Well, the one thing I'll say is that, you know... They do have something in common other than the fact that both these films are in Bill by Force's personal collection. They are yep. uh, <laughs> they are both written by um, uh, Kim Fuller, which is, is very strange. I, I'm sitting there watching the films, and I'm like, this name Kim Fuller keeps popping up. And I'm like, what the hell? And uh, so I go back and look, and yes, they both are, in fact, written by Kim Fuller. So congratulations, Mr. or Mrs. Fuller. I don't know, I don't know if it's a Mr. or a Mrs., so... And I'm not going to do enough research to find out because obviously this person is not a very good writer. So there, I'll go. For I that. do, I, I do know that it's. A, I believe it's a man because Simon Fuller, interestingly enough, was the brains or one of the brains behind the American Idol series and oh, yeah. Spice Girls. So Kim Fuller is his brother, I believe. Oh, okay. Right. Well, that makes sense. All right. So I will say that the opening credits to the film are at least creative. I'll give it that. Uh, they were they were kind of creative. Uh, I didn't know they were going to be one of the highlights of the film, but I should have known. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It was, it's like it done the early days of CGI, or CGI was becoming very prominent, and 
you could tell them some spots, but still interesting to give people a visual. It's basically uh, they're 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 traveling to my. You can see on the road signs and the sort of restaurant signs and everything. All the credit or you know. yeah, yeah, and it's uh, kind of a real instead of like uh, overlaid. Uh, you know, credits that you normally get in a film, it's kind of like, you know, they'll walk past a billboard and there's a credit there and stuff. So at least that was creative. I have to give them that. I know the director of the film, uh, Robert Iscove, I don't think he's really done much anything else that I that I think we can even, uh, I don't even think that there's anything of note we didn't even need to talk about, actually, that this person's done. I'll look through and see here, just kind of get an idea. Uh, the Ten Commandments, the musical, that, that's probably something we... Need to check out at some point. Looks like a lot of TV work. <laughs> I don't see anything in here that uh, jumps out at me. So I think he did. Didn't he do? Did, didn't he do? Shell? I think I saw that. Which is, I was, I was looking at his film credits, and I think he did that. That turd. She's all. Well, she's all that with Freddie Prince Jr. That hunk. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. She's all that. He, yeah, which I have never seen. Like I said, I'm not a fan of these kind of movies, obviously, but I think. Has a reputation for being competent compared to this, at least. Yeah, yeah, possibly. All right, so the basic setup is, you know, this is a bad commercial movie, and the basic setup or you know, scenes are seem to be built around whatever's popular at the time. Like, there's a scene where we get some get some guy tap dancing a little bit. Uh, we get some scenes where you know people are doing you know at the time, I guess, very popular dance moves. Uh, yeah, we get a lot of that kind of stuff and. The only thing it was missing really was uh, maybe some subway ads or, uh, you know, something like that because uh, it's like it's one of those films. It's where, you know, so there's a story going on, but they have to always stop to make sure they're selling a product. And in this case, the product happens to be Kelly and Justin, who they were trying to sell, uh, oddly enough, to America, which one of them went on to be sold to America pretty well on her own. But the other one kind of just vanished. Thank Christ. So... <laughs> You know what? I, I will say, and this is an unpopular opinion, I will say this. I remember a long time ago when I saw this poster, I looked at him and I wanted to punch him in the face because of his hair and his look and everything. But I have to give credit where it's due, Sammy. I do think he has a good voice. Yep. And I think in the right, um, if he was just sort of seeing throwback, the soul music, stuff that I like, <clears throat> I would I would probably enjoy it. I'm being very honest because he does have a good voice. I think if people can look past the sort of douchey kind of you know, hair and everything else that they would see that this kid have talent though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not going to say he can't sing. He can't sing. Uh, and actually he has a few moments in here where he has some pretty good timing and stuff. Uh, I hate to even admit that uh, he has some moments where <laughs> there's, there's uh, a couple scenes between him that he's not as stiff as uh, Miss Clarkson is. Uh, so I have to give him a little bit of credit. I'm pretty much thinking about the scene in the bathroom. It's still terrible acting, but, uh, there's some moments there where, you know, if uh, a better director would have had control of the situation, I think it could have been a lot better. Yeah, so, I mean, we're not we're not looking at uh, Sidney Poitier here, but, I mean, yeah, for a non-actor, at, at times, he was marginally serviceable amongst uh, a sea of turds. Yes. There's, 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 that scene in the bathroom is interesting to me because there's a scene where she says, you know, every female bathroom has a special secret exit or whatever, and she shows him a window, and he says his hair won't fit through the window, and I'm thinking, that window's fucking bigger than the one in 10 to Midnight. How can you not fit through that goddamn window? Do <laughs> <laughs> you see the size of that damn window? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think, you know, it was it was still kind of funny. At least he was willing to hold fun at that because I think 
for him, that was his most identifiable um, physical characteristic. So it was uh, kind of funny, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's a big window, man. I think King Kong Bundy could have fucking f- uh, fit through that window. Never mind this 160 pounder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a huge window, man. And I'm like, yeah, that's the biggest window I've seen in a movie since 10 to Midnight. Because the only reason why I remember that is, you know, in 10 to Midnight, Gene Davis, it goes out a big window and, you know, goes and gets naked and kills people. And that's what Gene Davis does. But uh, that was his name, right? Gene Davis. I hope I got that right. Yep. Gene Davis. <laughs> you think I know his name well, but I guess I was just checking out his buttocks. All right. That and his in his coin and his coin purse. Oh yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, this film is also in the the weird film world where everybody can do everything instantly. I mean, uh, there's a scene where <laughs> Carlos uh, takes uh, a girl to uh and let me say that Carlos is easily the worst actor in this film. Uh, e- yeah, even even worse than Kelly and Justin. Awful. Yeah, he is awful. <laughs> I mean, he makes Kelly look like Faye Dunaway. Yeah, I'm trying to see this person's name. Jason Yerbar, or Yerbar, or something like that. Whoever this guy is, you need to quit acting. Normally, I wouldn't say look that. At his, look at his credits, though, Sammy. Every credit was like dancer, dancer, street dancer, dancer. Well, I will admit he could dance. I mean, I'm not a, I'm yeah, not, but, I'm not a dancer, but I could. I will admit he could dance. But. The, the dude's wearing a fucking sarong for half the movie. I just, like... When was that ever cool for a guy to wear a fucking sarong? That's what I want to know. I don't think it was ever cool. And uh, unfortunately uh, for him also, uh, uh, Carlos has back. guy's got a big ass on him, so that's kind of a shame. So. <laughs> yeah, that thing draped pretty good. And I just, since you were talking about the scene where they go to do the forbidden dance of the Lombarda and the merengue, yes. I knew that scene was going to come up. I just knew it because... He, you know, he's the, the Latin character, and I just knew he was going to take her to some underground, fucking spicy merengue club. I just knew it, and I, I just, I could not help but fucking groan so loud when that scene came on. Yeah, it was just such a cliche. It was really bad, and uh, yeah, she instantly could uh, uh, do the dancing. Now I know that it was set up for a music number and everything for the girl to sing and stuff, and she actually was a pretty good singer too. If in fact that was her singing. She actually wasn't bad either. Uh, but, yeah, she instantly knew how to do the dancing. She instantly knew this and knew that. And uh, pretty amazing. And it's always amazing to me in these movies how women are attracted to guys who are busboys at restaurants. I've worked in the restaurant world. Trust me, the chicks don't really check you out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially, you know, a lot of the kids on, on spring break are, are middle class to upper middle class. And the last thing you're going to be checking out is the busboy. You would think, yes. You would think that they would, uh, you know, take it a little easy there. We don't really need uh, to be checking out uh, the busboy with the nice skirt. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Carlos. So you get the uh, you got the meat girl, you got the nice girl, and you got the bitch. So we got three three different girls here. And I want to say the girl that played Alexa, she was a bitch. I mean, she did a good job of uh, playing the uh, stereotypical bitch role, and uh, she was just irritating i wanted to i mean i hate to say this and it sounds awful and stuff but i wanted to punch her in the mouth well i'll say this and i'll go one step further i think alexa or alexis was a fucking cunt in this film and that is warranted based (laughs) on her actions in the film because the things she does are pretty awful oh yeah yeah she's an awful awful person and she gets her come up in the film and she deserves it so good riddance alexa and uh your fake texas accent whatever the hell it was it was so awful. She sounded like, um, did you ever watch A Different World? 
Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I know what you're talking. I think you're, I know where you're going. <laughs> Jasmine Guy's character, the sort of Richie Rich Blue Blood Blue Blood girl on Different World. That's who she sounded like. A more annoying nasal version of. Yes, yes. I'll, I'll also say I'll, I'll go back to Carlos. Uh, he was a he was a very deep character, and I'm being very sarcastic here. And I felt bad for him in a way because uh, you know he loses his his uh, awesome job of washing dishes and uh, uh, busting tables and uh, cleaning skirts with soda water. Uh, but his the girl that's interested in him, she's not real concerned because there's a scene in between where she just got him fired and she's out dancing with Kelly Clarkson. And then, you know, and, you know, talking about, you know, gets Kelly all dressed up, take her, you know, out to party and stuff. And and then, then she comes back and he's working in another restaurant. It didn't take him very long to find a job. So Carlos was, <laughs> he evidently had charisma that he could just find a job anywhere. And really, Carlos became the only thing in this film I was interested in after a while because he was so bad. The actor was that I all I cared about was where's Carlos? Where's Carlos? <laughs> yeah, and to say he's the worst thing in this film is really a testament to how bad he is. Exactly. Like he has that big sort of emotional scene where he talks about um, how it's spring break for her, but this is his real life, and these are you know people's real lives, and you know he's got to you know scrape the beans off the plate and. And all this shit, and it's supposed to be his. It's supposed to pack some emotional wall up, and and it's just, it's really bad. It's like, you know, you're hanging this poor bastard out to try by giving him this uh, this emotional monologue. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it. It was very horrible, but it became the most entertaining thing for me was to watch Carlos suffer. If this had been a whole movie called, you know, I don't know what you would call it, uh, but uh, if it had been all about Carlos, I think I would have liked it more. So. I really don't have a whole lot more notes. I mean, I wish I did. There's not really a whole lot to talk about as far as technical stuff that we normally talk about as far as, you know, quality of the film and and things like that. I will say that, the you know, to give it a little bit of credit, the musical numbers are, are well done. They're just really, really strained. They really can. You can tell that the musical numbers are paid more attention to than the film itself. And uh, you do get a great scene of Justin Gurney uh, doing some beatbox action, which is really rough and and uh, painful and embarrassing, actually, to a degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I got a lot of actually, and and the first note I have, in full disclosure, I am an American Idol fan. Um, you know that, Sammy. I think most of our listeners may know that. I'm not going to hide the fact. I mean, we all have guilty pleasures. And um, American Idol is my guilty pleasure. Um, I wasn't a fan when this movie came out. In fact, <clears throat> I wasn't for the first probably three or four seasons. But um, I, I recognize it for what it is. It's a bit of a dog and pony show. It's no, it's just to me it's entertaining. Some people actually have talent. Some people are are um, train wrecks that are entertaining to watch. But I figured I'd get that out of the way. Um, I would say that if there was any silver lining in this film. It's the fact that Kelly Clarkson and Justin Greeny can actually sing. Now, I don't think that the musical numbers, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. I think they're terrible. I think they're <laughs> terribly choreographed. I think they're cluttered. Um, just awful, awful stuff. But I will say that they are talented. And the problem is, is that they were forced to do this movie. When, they, when you're on American Idol, you become their, they're basically uh, the organ grinder's monkey and you kind of do what they say. Mm-hmm. Um so that's what happened with them. They kind of they were forced into it, um, you know. And Kelly Clarkson this doesn't fit her her vibe either. In, in retrospect, I think she is a good singer and sort of poppy, uh, 
oh, what's her name there? The Aussie from Greece. Um, not Sandra D. Um, your girl there. Uh, what, Olivia Newton-John? Olivia Newton-John. She doesn't fit that role. I mean, at all. It's, no. It's, it's, you know, it's a square peg in a round hole. And then Justin Greeny, you feel bad for this guy because he, he, you know, uh, whether you find him to be douchey or not, he is talented and, and something like this clearly derailed uh, him or slowed him down considerably by them forcing him into this. But that of the way, let me talk about the film. Um, I just thought, okay, here we go. Of course, Kelly's character is the shrew. What a surprise, surprise. You know, she needs to tighten up. He, you know, it's just, of course. I mean, we're dealing with very stock characters and stock situations here. Um I thought it was blasphemous that they, the great Go-Go song Vacation gets remade for this film. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a good point. It really bothered Because I like that song, and I like a lot of 80s cheese. Part of it is I grew up then, so it, it does get a pass for me because of nostalgic reasons. Um, we get to see a little bit of technique, although it's it's overdone technique. We get some sort of some rapid-fire, quick-cut editing Fast forwarding and stuff, and I just I hated that. I get so overdone. It was so overdone in this time that um, it really bothered me. Yeah, yeah. Every stylistic choice in the film was strained. I think it's like, oh yeah, well we need to do this because this is what films do. Yeah, but it doesn't do. It's like it's like the 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 twenty fifth time you photocopy something, it just doesn't. It barely resembles the original at all. Right, right. To the point you're kind of scratching your head. Um, I hate in these sort of broad teen films where you get the sort of quote unquote cool kids hanging out with the complete fucking nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you always have that. <laughs> and it, it just, it really bothers me. Come on, that's not the way it is. I mean, you know, and the nerds, I mean, and, you know, all these films are very broad films. Like the nerds got the glasses with the tape and he's, you know, he's getting sunburned and he's talking about, you know, Xena chat rooms and stuff. And these other two guys are just, you know, pussy hounds. They're, they're trying to get laid as much as they can. It just, it's just so ridiculous. Like, I don't really see how, what logic went into making one of their friends sort of a nerd. I mean, I know for comedic reasons, but, um, why make him a nerd? I, I just, I did, just, it didn't, it didn't fit with me. I, I don't know. Not that much of this film did fit with me. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, the first musical number on the beach uh, with the choreographed dancing and the towel shaking. Um, the note I have is "ug," with an exclamation. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is this is why I hate musicals um, for the most part because they're very preposterous. Yes. Um, in, in that the way they sort of transition or segue into song, that's something I don't like. And in this film, the segue or transition into song from word is really bad um, to the point where it's like one word. They'll start a sentence speaking, and then by the end of the sentence, they're singing it, and it just—it's not well done at all. Um, so that really bothered me. I mean, I like preposterousness in my movies. God, I like uh, you know Italian knockoff cinema and, and world sort of Z-grade action cinema, but I like my preposterousness to revolve around never-ending uh, magazine cartridges of bullets and guns and exploding cars that. that uh, that curb, you know, that sort of a thing. Right, right. Yeah, that's the the problem. Any musical, I think it, it kind of hurts itself when it when a, when a music number is forced. And I think that in this situation, the music numbers are just too forced. They just they come out of nowhere, 
And they belong in another movie, actually. And I will agree with you what you said. They were very cluttered because there was moments when I was looking for Justin and Kelly because, you know, I, that's that, that's our two principles, right? That's who we're supposed to be looking for at all times. I'm looking for them, too, and I can't find them anywhere because I got, you know, 55 sweaty people were running around uh, dancing and singing and doing whatever, and I'm looking just for an afro and a, a big ass, and that's all I'm looking for. That sounded sounded awful. Usually, <laughs> well, usually for me, an afro and a big ass is for a big. <laughs> the problem is this: it's uh, he's got the afro and yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that aside, um, I agree. I just think you know you'll get like beach balls bouncing around and shit. It's like it's just very cluttered visually. You know, you, your point of this is to showcase the dance and singing and. They had too much going on during the dancing and singing to showcase that. Yeah. Right? So it just, right. it's very odd. It's like it's like horror movies that, you know, they take away the money out of the Kiplin and there's nothing. It's like a Fulci movie with the, what's the point? Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. No, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a good point, actually. So that's the way I felt. Um, you know, of course, I had to groan with sort of the broad humor of, you know, shenanigans ensuing when the nerd meets the fold-out cot. <laughs> yes. I mean, come on. I just, I hate the, I just, I, I'm going to keep saying I hate the broad humor in these kind of films so much. It's just, it's so awful. Um, the next note I have is sort of tied into the dance numbers and sort of tied into, it's a critique of a lot of films, uh, not even good films, for example, even stuff like uh, Basic Instinct or other films, I always find, and I maybe said this on a previous review, I always find that with club scenes or big crowd scenes in, in a lot of films, they just seem so unnatural and so like so staged. Yeah. They never feel real to me. Like when you get a nightclub scene or you know stuff like Michael Michael Mann films, it just looks so obviously staged. Yes, yes. I mean. There's no way around it. I mean, obviously they are staged, and I mean you can you can do it better, but I don't think that Robert Iscove is going to do it much better than any other director I can think of for sure. <laughs> well, no, yeah. Listen, if Mike Mann can't do it, this fucking actor will be disappointed too. I mean, I just think shooting a real nightclub, you know, that, that, like shooting a real night on a night at a nightclub. Don't you know get all the extras in, and you know they're all kind of moving on cue and stuff. It just looks so awful. Um, a couple lines I wanted to mention in the film. Kelly says to Justin, she says, my friends call me Kelly for short. And I'm thinking, what is Kelly short for? Yeah, I thought like, the same thing. I, I thought Kelly was the name. I could understand if she said K or Kel. Um, you know, unless it's like at the hyphenated name, like Kellyanne or, you know, something like that. But it just, just odd. That was some great writing there. <laughs> Yeah, amongst a sea of great writing. But I will say there was one line I kind of liked. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but um, again, they're sort of poking fun at Justin's hair. Uh, he actually says something about his hair. But, oh, I think it's it was during that scene with the window in the washroom, and he says about his hair, and and she says, "I'm from I'm from Texas. I've seen bigger hair." And I actually got a little bit of a chuckle out of that because it's the whole thing with Texas being a bigger state, and then I just picture some of these. Texas oil women with the huge sort of beehive hair hairdos. So yeah, I thought her, that was actually kind of funny. I thought about the females, but I also thought about the, she's like, you know, when she said that, I thought she's talking about the, you know, the dudes. And I'm like, well, in my experience, most Texas guys don't have big hair, but 
I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That was just. I think it was just an excuse to to use the big, you know, big in Texas uh, stereotype that we like to use here in the states, which is, you know, it's either about you know I've seen mosquitoes in Texas that are big as vultures, you know, things like that, and I don't know. <laughs> I wanted to, to grab Justin's nice. hair and pull it out. <laughs> uh, we get a duet on a boat, and. <laughs> I don't know if you have this in the states. Do you have Velveeta cheese in the states? Uh, yes, yes, we do. <laughs> that fucking duet was pure. Um, all of them are, but I mean, this one was such Velveeta. It was. It was like it was like a a really bad John Cicada and Christina Aguilera type duet. You know what? It also reminded me of you know how in some movies, like how they justify that uh, a character's went to heaven by everybody wearing white. Yes. Yeah, they're wearing all white there. They're in a white boat, and they're cruising along. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, are they going to uh, pull up to the pearly gates? Is that what kind of movie this has turned into? And actually, it probably would have been a better movie if that's what they would have done. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what would have made it a far better movie. Because at this point, I started to play a little game in my head with a scene with Rod on the Water. And I thought, God, what I wouldn't give to see Dexter go by on his slice of lifeboat, dumping shit over the side and kind of waving at them with that Dexter smile. <laughs> yes, that would have been awesome, you know, or or seeing the the boat from Apocalypse Now with uh, Sheen on it going by. <laughs> that would have been awesome you know? too. <laughs> you know, I just shit like that. I just I had to kind of let my mind wander and you know spice it up a little bit for myself. Um, I thought that the douchebag friend of uh, Justin's. I really hate him. I wanted to punch him in the face. He had Anthony Stark uh, syndrome. Um, he did a bit of a, a rap that makes Pride Austin Green from 902 look like Nas or Biggie. Yes. Look. Yes, that was during the whole beatbox sequence as well. He, he did a couple of raps that were pretty bad. Uh, yeah, he was the character I despised the most because he was just he was trying to be funny. He was trying to be cool. He never wore a shirt. Uh, I, I couldn't see that him and that cop, he was interested in that cop at all. I couldn't see that coming a mile away, like from scene fucking one. Yeah. I don't know. That, that was some painful stuff. I mean, this movie is, is, I hate to say this, but I could make a better movie. I'm absolutely confident could. I could make a better movie. Yeah. Anybody could. I don't think you, I don't think you can mess it up. I don't even, I don't even know how this is. We talked about this number 28 on the IMDb bottom 100, because this is, this is awful. This movie is Oh, it's it's so bad. It's so inept at everything it does. It doesn't do anything really very well. No, it's really bad. I mean, even even none of the sort of the cockamamie plot device with the blonde horror Jasmine guy sounding friend playing the foil. It's like this is supposed to be one of her good friends. I can understand her trying to cock block, not cock. Well, what should I use? Box block? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> her to trying to to block Kelly because she thought maybe the guy was a, a player and and Kelly is better than that, but. She does it for different she has ulterior motives. She's doing it because she wants a piece of the old Garini schlong. <laughs> and it just it's so ridiculous. Like you know, and then she she gets a number that uh talking about needing love and it's it just sounds like a bad Paris Hilton uh song. Yeah, it does. It was awful. You know, awful. She's just tra- tramping it up in the snake club with guys carrying her around and you, know, you get the poolside number, just another groan inducing dance number. Um I don't know. I mean, yeah, just she's a she's a bitch. One guy's a douche. And the thing with being a douche is, you look at Stifler in the American Pie movie, say what you will about I really enjoy the first, well, I, I enjoy the first three, actually. After that, I stopped. But um, 
it's it's hard to pull out the like douche like uh, Sean Michael is it Sean Michael Scott? I think it's uh, Sean uh, William Scott actually. Or Sean, Sean William Scott uh, pulls off, but this guy, I mean, this guy is just so douchey and just awful. It's like he exploits his friend. This guy from Texas comes down and he like exploits his friend into having a hovercraft race and he tries to make money off this like, you know, actually violent situation. And then in the process does the unforgivable and calls them hover dudes, hover dudes, <laughs> hover dudes. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I just made a note that this is like Miyaki or uh, Mike or Fulci without the payoffs really. But mm because the payoffs were so inept. Um, basically, those are all the notes I have for the film. I do want to say, um, you can get this on Amazon if you're interested, from $1.25. <laughs> That's paying too much for uh, it, though. I'll say that. <clears throat> that is paying too much for it. Now, also further to that, this movie cleaned up at the Teen Choice Awards that year, just to show you how tasteless teenagers are. Yes. Um, and I think Owen, I was reading some stuff about the film, and I, I think Owen Gleiberman said it best when he said it's sort of like Greece, the next generation, if acted by the food court staff at SeaWorld. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good point again. Yeah. You, you know, the way, so, the I, mean, way I feel about movies like these, these movies aimed at teens, stuff like that, uh, I know some people enjoy them. Uh, that's fine. But here's the here's what I've actually said this on the boards before. I feel like this is the last of the true exploitation genres left. Uh, the kids' movies and teen movies in general, I believe they're all very exploitive. Uh, not in a bad way, but I just believe they're exploitation films, basically. Uh, you know, they're aimed at families. That's what they say, quote-unquote family, so we can take the whole family to a movie. Uh, to me, that's just easy. Uh, that just means that a parent doesn't have to uh, do any research. They just have to trust somebody else telling them that it's a kid's movie. And uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. And... Uh, I, I hate that that the, there's this whole world of that out there, and, and these movies make money. I mean, as we record this, you know, Hannah Montana was number one at the box office last weekend. You know, these movies make money because you know they're exploiting uh, a market. And uh, if people think exploitation cinema is dead, just look at uh, children's movies. I guarantee you, it's not dead. Yeah, but the, you're talking about making money. This one didn't make money. I mean, it tanked. It made five million. <laughs> and whoever paid to see this, I will personally send Big Willie to your house and beat the shit out of you, even if you are only. 14 years old now. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> Cause uh, you something wrong with you. If you, if anybody paid to see this movie, I'm sorry. Uh, I really am. There's something wrong. You were duped. Unless, <laughs> unless you were like a six year old girl and didn't know any better. Yeah. But even then it's unexcused. <laughs> it's inexcusable. Yes. Yes. Even then you might deserve a punch in the forehead. No. Yes. Yeah, so or a karate chop in the throat. At least <laughs> I wouldn't do that to a six year old guys. Honestly, <laughs> I wouldn't do it to any woman or any one unless. Uh, no, no, I wouldn't do it to any woman, and I wouldn't do it to any man that looks like Justin Guarini because it felt like he was a woman. So there we go. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I'll go over my MVT and make a break. My MVT is uh, the end of the movie because I was so happy when it was over. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> my make or break. There's just so many things in this film that are broken that I can't even begin to to say it. But I'll just say that the film is just broke. Uh, the, the, it's broke from the script on down. So I'll go with the script being my make or break, uh, not a scene so much, but man, this script is just broke and it's, it's really bad. And, uh, this is an awful film and I have to give Bill and Chris, uh, some credit for choosing possibly one of the worst films ever reviewed on a, uh, podcast ever. 
So, touche, gentlemen. That's all I'm going to say. My score for this film, I give it a 1 out of 10. And that's being generous. Uh, I think I gave Turkish Star Wars a 2. This film is just awful. There was no, There's no redeeming value to it. There's no reason to see it. Uh, it's just something you can torture friends with. And uh, because of that, that's why I say Bill and Chris are very inspired in choosing this. Because they tortured me. And uh, I appreciate that, guys. Thanks. And that's that's all I got to say. And I don't ever want to talk about this film again. <laughs> there we go. Well, I, I, I kind of looked at it a little bit differently than you. Um, my make or break is, well, what broke it for me was all the poorly choreographed, poorly shot, poorly transitioned musical numbers. Mm-hmm. That should have been a strong point of the film. And it was as inept, if not more inept, because you're expecting it to be halfway decent. The other stuff you can expect the film to be strung together with uh, sort of paper money, paper so that, that should pay off for anyone watching this film, and it does not. Um, so that's really broken for me. My MVT for the film is the setting. I, I really like Miami. The architecture is very vibrant. The colors. Um, if this had been set in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I, I well, who would go there for spring break? No offense, but um, <laughs> it would have been even worse. But I, I don't know. Just the setting was okay for me. Like I said, it allowed me to fantasize about uh, Dexter Morgan and friends uh, <laughs> coming down the river and I don't know I, the setting was kind of interesting my film was higher than yours actually 2.5 out of 10 um, I didn't hate it I'll say that I honestly didn't hate it um, I think it's as in that as filmmaking can get but I have no emotional involvement in the film or what it's about and I think it's almost like um I don't know if I'm not being too politically incorrect here, but you know in uh, Of Mice and Men, was it George is his name? Uh, I think so. I'm drawing a blank right now. Yeah, George George does some bad things. <laughs> and you can't hate George because George can't help it. That's how I feel this. I can't hate this because it's so mind-bogglingly inept that it, I think, honestly, I would have rather watched this in Twilight. I'm not even lying. Because this is just, it's, it's how, this is like this perfect storm of, of a, not even mediocrity, of a net, net that makes it kind of washable in a sense just to see the depths they can plumb. So I give it a 2.5. And you want to say the disc apparently has a commentary track, which would be quite the gem. And also there's some deleted scenes. And I wonder what they could have, like, I'd hate to see the deleted scenes because, you know, usually that's the weakest stuff left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, good it's point. Like this whole <laughs> film is, is one big fucking deleted scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to say one final thing. The girl that played um, Carlos's love interest, uh, her name's Anika Noni Rose. Who'd have thought? She was in Dreamgirls. Apparently she had a pretty prominent role. Uh, who'd have thought that anyone from this film would go on to a critically acclaimed and Oscar-winning film at some point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she is the one shining star other than you know, Kelly Clarkson's musical career that's come out of this, so... I will say good for her. I mean, at least something came for somebody. I'm just upset that Carlos didn't get more film offers. Yeah, yeah, it would have been nice to see him uh, maybe do something butchy like Gladiator or something. <laughs> put, him in a, yeah, put him in an action movie, and then all of a sudden he starts dancing with a skirt on. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that uh, there's happiness at the end of this film, except for me, uh, because I believe I might have lost my junk and I'm now pregnant. So thank you for that, Bill and Chris. <laughs> this movie may have emasculated me yes it is <laughs> alright so that's our review of uh, from Justin to Kelly or from J to K whatever you want to say
Uh, we'll go to break, and we'll be back with our review of Spice World. If you haven't been listening to Outside the Cinema recently, here's what you've missed. Our one-year anniversary show. Congratulations, if you are listening. Hooray us! You have come across the one-year anniversary episode of Outside the Cinema. Woo! Ryan's tearful goodbye. <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't cry! Chris's excited welcome. And for the first official time, new co-host, Mr. Chris. How's everybody doing? And Chris's sudden embrace by the OTC Nation. I am. I'm at a loss for words, which is really bad because this is an audio format. Oh, yeah. And you missed a whole lot of movie talk, too. OutsideTheCinema.com, your source for occult movie discussion. Don't trust Never trust All right, we are back from break, and we're going to jump into our second film, which is 1997's Spice World. Yay. Hey, we uh, we'll say that I am a little bit more excited to talk about this one than I was the first one, so we got that going for us. Okay, I'll give a basic plot synopsis, and we'll uh, jump into it here. Uh, the film follows the Spice Girls and their entourage, mostly fictional characters. Manager Clifford, his assistant Deborah, filmmaker Pierce, who is trying to shoot a documentary on the real, the real Spice Girls. Let me quote-unquote that. Uh, and others in their everyday life, uh, which, you know, is not really true because this isn't a very, anybody's normal everyday life, but whatever the case, uh, this is another gem that, uh, from Bill's personal collection. So, uh, I'll kick it over to you and, uh, we'll get to talking about Spice World. Okay. More full disclosure for everyone. Um, I actually owned the first Spice Girls album when it came out. Nice. Awesome. Yep, I did. And I do want to say that when I listened to this, I did find a lot of music very catchy and infectious. Um, and I'll be very upfront. I really enjoyed this film, actually. I don't know if it was... Uh, I had planned on using this as a bit of a palate cleanser. Um, after what I watched from Dustin to Kelly first, which I told you was a strategy because I figured this would be better. Um, I had some friends whose opinion I trusted that said this was a very guilty pleasure and it was actually kind of a fun, goofy film. And I have to agree with that. I do think that... The, this film, I, I would, if I, I'll be honest, if I saw this Sun Suns for like three, four bucks, I'd probably pick it up. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, definitely a guilty pleasure. I can see why people uh, kind of enjoy it. So I, I will agree with you when it, I'm a bit of a music snob, but the Spice Girl stuff is uh, it's kind of along those lines of uh, that catchy stuff that you just kind of can't not like. And uh, you guys have, uh, that are listening to the show, you'll hear a lot of Spice Girls and throughout the show. So I plan on playing a lot of Spice Girls music this uh, this week. <laughs> Good. Um, all right, so let me get into my notes. I do. I, did, I had a lot of notes. I had about three pages of notes. Normally, a review, I have two pages, but I had three, and I managed to kind of pare it down. Um, the opening credits made it look like an awesome, awesome porno film. Yeah, like uh, it's almost like a porno film done in the uh, intro of uh, James Bond, almost. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, yeah, that seventh kind of font and the lighting on each of them and introduces them as... Uh, Mel C is this is that sort of one name, and you think this is going to be an incredible porno with every kind of girl you could you could want. Mm-hmm. So I really like that, and I'm sure that wasn't sure that wasn't sure that you know I think the Spice Girls and the whole idea of the Spice Girls is actually pretty genius because I think that the 
the way they were marketed was they were okay for young girls and young children. They did have a positive feminine message, girl power and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yet fathers and adolescent boys and any red-blooded, quite frankly, would find at least one of them to uh, <laughs> to fantasize. Yeah, to latch on to. Yeah, that would be the appropriate <laughs> <To latch> word. <laughs> and I would say probably all of them except Mel C, Sporty Spice, except probably all of them had a pretty good following. Yeah, she seemed to be the one, uh, you know, you kind of get into that conversation you get into with, like, the Beatles or the Stones back in the day, who liked who and stuff. But, yeah, I have to agree with Mel C. Is Unfortunately, she's probably the most unattractive one. I'm actually not a big fan of Victoria Beckham. I really do not think she's attractive, and I don't know why. She just doesn't do anything for me. Well, here's the thing. Um, about Mel C., the ironic thing is that she's the most talented vocally of all of them, yet she's the best, so <laughs> go figure. But... <laughs> yeah. uh as for the girls themselves, uh, Posh, Victoria, mm-hmm. it's funny. I looked at her in this looked at her. She's pretty hot. In fact, especially when she dresses up in sort of the Honey Rider, um, I think it is her, her Bond bikini, the yeah. white bikini with knife. Yeah, that one isn't, thought, that one wow. isn't too bad. She actually looks good in the, uh, in the uh, camouflage, the kind of onesie type thing she's wearing too as well. Oh, yeah, that little little tennis dress, tennis skirt. But here's the thing. I think she looks way hotter than she does now because now I think she looks almost like a Thai ladyboy hooker that's into high fashion. Yeah, and I think that's what it is. I think that uh, she's totally kind of creeps me out now. And uh, Yeah, she does. And when I see her even in retrospect, there's something just kind of creepy about her now. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I'm sure that you know we're not in the. Uh, I mean, I know I'm not in the majority here because I know most people. All my friends growing up, uh, personally, thought that uh, Posh was the shit. I was always more of a uh, Mel B to Baby to Jerry kind of guy myself. So, <laughs> well, let me just say that Jerry was always numero uno me. I'm not a fan of redheads. I'll be honest. Sorry, I'm normally not, um, but. This is one redhead that just had me going va 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 boom. I always found her hot. And the way that she shamelessly was a tramp, like all their show, all skirts would be the shortest with her Union Jack underwear showing, really endeared me to her as a teenage boy. So I, she was my favorite. Uh, uh, Scary was hot. Baby was okay. Baby and Posh, whatever. But, I mean, really put their names in a hat. They're all kind of uh, male fantasies of a sort. But um, as for the film, uh, so starting to watch it, uh, I still once I saw Ginger, all those feelings came rushing back. <laughs> yes. So she's still got it after all. Years. Um, the blood rushed straight to uh, the uh, midsection, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the old German soldier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought it was funny right off the hop. You know, talking about sort of you know uh, skeevy, pervy men. Uh, trying to take advantage of them. There's a guy trying to take an upskirt shot of them as they're walking out of their first performance. Yes, yes. Which I thought was kind of funny. Um, i got to say, right from the get-go, it's very obvious that all of the girls were game for this film. It's a very goofy film, but it knows what it is. Um, you know, they talk to aliens. Uh, <clears throat> there's all sorts of funny, sort of zany stuff going on, and I'm glad, glad all of them were game for it. And it was genius to sort of have them play themselves and play up their um, their uh, sort of what they'd been pigeonholed into as sort of baby was sort of child looking posh was always talking about uh, Chanel and Gucci so forth and I liked that they did it was smart to have them because they're comf- comfortable with the camera by doing that yes yes no it was it was smart to keep them in character uh, 
it's kind of a meta film in a way. I mean, they're in character yes. in the film, and then when they're not in character in the film, they're still in another character. I mean, obviously, this isn't the way they really are. And the film knows what it is. That is the smart thing to do. When you're going to make a movie like this, and you know it's bare bones, and it's a product just to sell an act, uh, it's smart to make the film have a certain type of edge. And this one has... An edge. It almost it's almost commenting on itself the whole time about you know the Spice Girls popularity and and you know there's a scene where they're talking about the the buff Italian dudes in the background, <laughs> which I thought oh, was kind of was funny. funny. <laughs> yeah, so because they you know they're that commenting on on you know basically you know it's basically a comment on how you know we all see things and you know they they it's it's interesting to me that they went this way and and that really that's the smartest thing they could have done because. If they'd have taken it seriously, obviously we'd be talking about something. I mean, that might have been good too, but it would have been good for different reasons, I think. Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, they were genius in also the fact that they sort of comment on the absurdity of management controlling the images of these stars. Yes, yes. Um, they, you know, just how, how controlled they are and how regimented everything is. Um, so there was some talent in terms of what they were trying to get across and the how it was executed even to the point that I thought the film was well shot and well edited um, some of the transition shots from scene shots from the edited were really were really good seamless I thought yeah no no the, the film is this is like the total opposite of, from Justin to Kelly this is this is more competent and I know the director really hasn't done or really never did anything outside of uh, British television I know he did some episodes of Faulty Towers which is a John Cleese show it's pretty good and and did some other British television, and maybe our British listeners will be more familiar with uh, Bob Spears, but uh, didn't really do a whole lot of film work and stuff. But uh, by the time he had done this film and stuff, he'd obviously uh, picked up a few tricks and stuff. And unlike uh, Iscove in the first uh, review we did, uh, it's obvious to me that uh, there was talent behind the camera at least. Oh, yeah, and I think Spires or Spears, whatever his name is, he did some episode, a lot of episodes of AbFab were absolutely fabulous, which is a very popular um show about two females yes. uh, and it's being remade here with with Kristen Johnson I think her name is and uh, and someone else but uh, that's a really popular show so yeah there is a history here of well-received comedy on television done to this guy so mm-hmm. you know like you said he picked up a few tricks in his years of doing it so right. that was very evident it's very evident um there's a bit where Roger Moore basically plays the sort of overlord of uh of the Spice Girls and uh <laughs> I, I, I just him. Like the, there's a scene where he's got a mart, he's got a martini, and he's talking to their manager, who he sort of dispatches advice to. And they're talking about something stirring, and he's got the martini, and he goes, "No, no, no there's no need for stirring." As he's prepping the martini, which is obviously sort of a play on the shaken, not stirred James Bonneth. James Bonneth. Yes, yes. Uh, there's a lot of people in here cashing a check, but in this oh, kind God, of yeah. in this kind of film, it, it works. It's never. I mean, it's all in good fun. They all know what they're doing. But, yeah, Roger Moore really is cashing a check in here. And, and he has some of the best lines in the film because he's always given this Buddha, Buddha-like advice that makes no fucking sense. But uh, one of my favorites was uh, the drummer without sticks has no backbeat. And, uh, well, there's that. <laughs> and, Richard, and Richard Grant, who, by the way, it's a miracle there's any scenery left because Richard Grant, who played their manager, was uh, chewing everything in sight like a wood chipper. <laughs> Yeah, he had he had quite the sirens and his suits. I don't know if you had this in the states. I'm sure you did. This clothing fad in the early '90s or mid '90s called surfile. Uh, I I wouldn't know. I mean, it, it's possible we did. I, I don't recall what surf style was. Sammy, it was almost like um, this windbreaker type jacket that um, it was sort of a cross between windbreaker 
ethereal and hype color sort of stuff where under certain light it would shimmer certain colors. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And it was okay. just an awful look. People wore wind pants and windbreakers made of this stuff called surf style. And and this their fucking managers were like made from surf style material. The way they shimmered in light. It was just awful, awful suits. It was three quarter length uh jackets. You're real quiet, eh? No, no, I was just laughing uh about the idea of these outfits in the film. I, I think about all the outfits in all the film. It's just like, what the hell? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, their shoes, speaking of their shoes, to give people an idea, are inspired by the Kiss tours of the 70s where they basically have phone books glued on the bottom of them. Yes, yes, very, very I don't even know how people can walk in those things. Very carefully. Um, you know, you talk about cameras, there's so many. I mean, you get, you know, Bob Hoskin, Hoskin, John Elvis Costello, um, God, the list goes on and on and on. And um, I like Alan Cumming. When I saw his name in the credits, I was very, very happy that he he's one of the meatier roles in the film, and he plays sort of this pretentious director who's kind of he even says as much. He's chasing BAFTA, which is like the British um, Academy Awards. Right. Uh, he's chasing BAFTA because he's trying to do a documentary on uh, on the Spice Girls. So I liked seeing him uh, in the film, uh, although well, obviously he didn't have much to do, but. Nonetheless, just to see him was heartening for me at the beginning because, uh, like I said, I really like Alan Cumming. Right, right. Um, I love how expansive the bus is. Their tour bus is a double-decker uh, bus that's painted with the U-Jack on it. And basically, it's like a, it, on the inside, it's like a moving bat cave. Yes, yes. It's And, and everybody has their own area, which is uh, very uh, conducive to their character, or to their personality, which I found was interesting. Again... That's some of the genius of the film is that they, even in their downtime, they are still, you know, baby spice, posh spice. You know, she's got a whole closet full of clothes. Uh, Mel C's uh, got all the sports type stuff. You know, baby's got the swing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you just goes on and on. But I like how they have their own little personal space, almost like a uh, yeah. like a cattle car, almost. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a Barbie doll that comes with accessories. This is like the live-action Barbie dolls with their accessories, and you get to see them in use. Right, right. Um, I, it was funny. I don't like the show House, um, but you see Hugh Laurie when he's younger in sort of a Clue-type scene. Uh, I think he's Hercule Perot or whatever his name is, the detective. And yes. That was kind of a comedic moment to see him pop up. And then you even get speed. We were talking about Punisher Warzone. Dominic West, Mr. Jigsaw himself, uh, shows up as a photographer. Yes, I know that was uh, that might be one of his earliest film credits. Actually, uh, it was weird to see him. You know, uh, I know him from The Wire mostly now because I love The Wire so much and it's a great show. But uh, yeah, just recently seeing him in uh, Punisher Warzone, uh, hamming it up to say the least in Punisher Warzone. It was interesting to see him oh, there, just yeah. in a little spot. Oh, yeah, no, it was funny. I always like seeing. Uh, <laughs> Character or actors who've gone on to more prominence and sort of really stuck, really stuck this. Um, I like that the bus sort of took tour around London. You could see a lot of the London landmarks, uh, like Piccadilly Circus, and I don't think they showed Big Ben though, but they showed a lot of stuff that um, Trafalgar and all this. I really liked all that stuff. It was kind of added. It was kind of added. Because, you know, actually, they're supposed to be very British. Yes. Uh, um, one thing I actually I meant to mention when you were talking about Roger Moore is. Buddhist stuff, it's almost like the, the sort of cryptic code speak that you've seen spy movies. Like, I loved all the sort of posturous, sort of the purple dove flies at midnight stuff I've got, where, yeah, it's like the headless chicken knows where he... I, I don't I even remember what it was, but, it, but it's just, it's so ridiculous, the stuff uh, they didn't do. And, and they even, like, the manager of the band, he has no clue, he just kind of nods his head and smiles, and he kind of... Yeah, well, his, assist, his assistant always says, well, what did he say? And he goes, 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't understand what he said either, and I think that was pretty good. And uh, Roger Moore has one of those great voices, that great proper English accent, that when he says that kind of stuff, it's even funnier, actually, because he he just says it, and it just sounds so important when he says it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it sounds very scholarly, and, yeah, it, it does very serious. Um Another thing I liked about the film, I meant to mention when we were talking about some of the commentary on uh, celebrity and how controlling the images are, is sort of the commentary on overblown gossip. I know England has a, a bad sort of a lot of their gossip brags, um, but there's a part where they sort of rhetorically ask, well, Pope Catholic, and that turns into a big thing with them and question Pope's faith and everything else. And <laughs> I thought it was a funny little bit on the commentary of how celebrity gossip gets so out of hand so quickly. Yes, yes, and uh, yes, you're right. I think I believe England is as notorious as America when it comes to uh, gossip. Yeah, they're they're pretty. We we always here in America we always talk about all oh, other countries they don't have that gossip. Blah blah blah. Oh yeah, England's got uh, they got it pretty bad over there. And if you're into it, that's fine. But if not, you'll you'll agree that it's it's pretty pervasive. It's very in your face gossip. It seems to me. I, I don't obviously subscribe to any. English papers, but I do hear quite a bit from about the paparazzi over there. Oh yeah, um, I know what I have here is God bless Ginger and her hot pants. <laughs> yes, yes, there you go. <laughs> Again, she always she always came correct wearing the shortest shorts and the shortest skirts. So there for that in fact she makes suede tassels look hot again i didn't think that was possible after the apocalypse of the 80s but <laughs> yeah. um she, she makes suede tassels look hot again so good on her for that and speaking of hot there there's a group of uh, italian men in this they're called they're called real group of strippers they're called the dream boys and they have to do a performance on a performing variety show with the spice girls where they're dancing for them and they have these sort of um, these suits made of lycra, and the and they're, they're tight, obviously, and they're they're assless, and they're lavender <laughs> with pillars, and they have to be seen to be believed. Yeah, very very prince like, like the assless uh, pants. Yes, if Prince was on steroids and taller, he would wear these suits. <laughs> yes, yes, these guys were some beefcakes, man. <laughs> I bet they had some tough tits. I mean, you can see the tough tits rolling as they're flexing. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, they were they were almost yeah they were flexing while they were talking and then you know I caught myself watching the tough tits instead of watching the females. I think that was the point though, is that again I think that was the point they were trying to make is that you know we see women as objects so often that you put a uh, you know a mostly naked man on screen and even men are going to look at the mostly naked man. I mean I'm I'm man enough to admit that uh, while they were talking sometimes I was watching the tough tits flicks instead of watching the female. Yeah, no, you can help it. I mean, those things are rolling, and yeah, it's just kind of funny stuff. stuff. Um, was that, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, was that Meatloaf that was their bus driver? Yeah, that was Meatloaf. That was Meatloaf. I th- I thought it was the loaf, and, and what put it over the top for me was when they're talking about how all the toilets are clogged with hair, um, and I won't even get into that, um, but their toilet, and he goes, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I would do anything for them, but I won't do that. And then I go, aha. It is meatloaf. Yes, yes, another so little they, they little kinda... joke. I don't know how they got meatloaf in the film. Uh, some of the other people I can see. I guess meatloaf must have just been in England at the time. <laughs> yeah, probably. He was shooting one of those epic nineteen-minute uh, period piece videos. He was known to do in the nineties. Yes, either that or a uh, low-budget Patrick Swayze action movie. He's been in a, uh, one of yeah. those at least. I think too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So he was kind of funny. He's sort of the goofy, uh, means well bus driver. Uh, they sample the Friday the 13th music in this film when they sort of stay in this haunted house type setting. And it's funny, for a moment, it almost had like this Scooby Doo type vibe. Yes, um, yes. And I wish they had to stretch that out a little bit further, but I know they had so many set pieces to get through. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, yeah, I heard that Friday the 13th. You just hear a little bit of it. You just hear the ch 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 That's all you hear. You don't hear They don't do anything else. But, uh, yeah, of course, you know, we are children of that genre, me and you. Uh, we love the horror genre. And, of course, you put that in there, and it's identified immediately. My ears perked up, and, and I was like, oh, okay. But, yeah, it definitely got that vibe and stuff of, like, a Scooby-Doo mystery. Yeah, no, it was. And then they talk about, um, you get um, Mark McKinney, I think, is, is from Boys in the, Kids in the Hall, I should say, mm-hmm. a great Canadian show, um, and George Wendt, and they're trying to pitch a film, and they talk about them doing Spice Force 5, which is a spoof of Fox Force 5, which is uh, a reference to Force 5 by a kind of great Richard uh, Krauss or, or Robert Krauss, I can't remember his name, Under the Dragon, uh, a film he did. Um, yeah. And it's just funny. I, I would I would pay to see a Spice Force Five movie. That looked incredible. Lots of jiggling in that film. <laughs> yeah, that would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, awesome. It's something I could see them doing in Japan. Yes, yes. There you go. Uh, uh, I love that uh, uh, the straight face. They fly face. They fly face. They fly face. Was trying to make it when I mean it's so clearly obvious that they were manufactured and brought in and individually handpicked for this supergroup. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. Um, I, I just have a question. Uh, has anyone ever discovered what a zig-a-zig is? Uh, because it's like the caramel secret. I don't know if we'll ever truly know what that means. <laughs> it's all that he wants. It's a zig-a-zig ah, uh, and I don't know if she's ever going to be able to get it because no one else except her, apparently, knows what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. I mean, uh, I like a little mystery. So that's okay. <laughs> uh, I'll just try and get through the rest of my notes here very quickly. I love that the Spice Girls can heal the sick and raise the dead. That boy <laughs> in the hospital. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, the film just does things that they're almost tasteless comedy. I, I really kind of enjoyed that. Uh, the heart's in the right place, obviously, and stuff. And I know that they were going for a comedic uh, slant with it. And, and I kind of enjoyed that because they could have easily... It could have easily went the other way, but if you're if you're in the right mindset and stuff, uh, you get it immediately. And if you can get it, you'll enjoy the movie. If you don't get it, uh, you're not going to enjoy the movie. And uh, that's one of those scenes where I think if you get it, uh, you kind of get a little sn- uh, you know snicker out of it, as opposed to it could be a very tasteless scene. You know what I'm saying? Yes, no, absolutely, it could. Um, words I never thought I'd hear George Went say, and I and I say anything about revulse. Uh, revolting or, or repulsive he says i'm wet already <laughs> yeah that was gross <laughs> and that is the definition of the opposite of hot you george went say that he's wet already yes nice <laughs> um little um here for you um i don't know if you know this john who guest directed a scene in the film for one dollar no i didn't know that was that the uh, scene with the miniature bus going over the london bridge <laughs> No, although that was a fantastic scene. This is with the pigeons. I'm just making a joke here. Oh, okay. With the pigeons off the pigeon. <laughs> pigeons instead of doves. Uh, yeah, that's the, the English John yeah, Woo. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's flying. It's flips over Trafalgar Square. Um, but yeah, you talked about that dinky car, double-decker over the drawbridge. Again, it's that kind of a film. I mean, it's really funny. It knows what it is. The Rocky tribute was very funny. 
um, um, the very end of the film when the credits are on, there's some kind of funny behind-the-scenes, quote-unquote, stuff. So, uh, on the whole, brilliant little film for what it was. And, and uh, i got to say, they, they married with this one because it's turned me on to something that I may, maybe wouldn't have seen otherwise. So, I'll kick it over to you. All right. So, uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, you picked up on is a lot of the same stuff I picked up on. So, But, yeah, I did like the kind of intro that was slightly pornographic, slightly bondish, and it kind of goes right into a live performance, which is kind of nice. Uh, the Roger Moore quips, those were great. Uh, I love Roger Moore. Uh, he's the Bond I grew up with. Uh, I'm not going to say he's my favorite. Uh, that's a debate for another time on who the favorite Bond is. But I do enjoy Roger Moore because he'll always be uh, the Bond I remember first, right? So he, he's always going to – there's always a sentiment uh, – Kind of a nostalgia reason for liking him, I guess. Uh, some of the moments of comedy, as well as some of them work, I think some of them are a little strained, obviously. It's obvious that they didn't know where to go with uh, some of the jokes. Uh, so there were some uncomfortable moments where it was like, okay, I think that was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't very funny at all. <laughs> but yeah, right. they, they, did a good, they did a good job on the whole. You know, these, these, these girls aren't actresses by trade. I mean, they're performers. Uh, some of them sing well, some of them sing not so great. Uh, but, you know, on the whole, they did the comedy well. They did. Uh, they managed to hang in there. And, and as we know, comedy is very subjective and it's very difficult to do. So if you can get a chuckle out of people, you're doing very well because uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Just ask some of our greatest actors in the world how easy comedy is to do. And, and uh, we'll go back and look at some of their filmographies with some comedy in it. And you will see some failure in some aspects. <laughs> So yes. it, it can be difficult. Uh, I'll say Barry Humphreys is in this film. I brought him up. He was uh, the, I think, uh, I can't remember what character he played. I can't remember the name off the top. It's yeah. happening to your lookalike. Yeah, 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 yeah. He He's actually a, a very prominent exploitation actor. So uh, you guys can look up his uh, his stats on IMDb. But he was just recently in that uh, Not Quite Hollywood film. That's why I remember him so well. And uh, I'm trying to think. Let me, let me see if I can... Uh, find some stuff he's been in real quick just to get to give people an idea because there was there was one exploitation film it seems like that was pretty popular he was in but i can't remember what it was well, i will say this richard o'brien of rocky horror picture show fame pops up too which was a pleasant surprise yeah not doing anything to uh change the fact that he always plays goofy ass strange characters in films i, I don't think richard o'brien i don't think can ever get past the fact that he has to always play a weird creep of some sort in a movie <laughs> This is true. And it seems like every film he's in, he's in Dark City, too, and he played one of those characters. And he, uh, <laughs> well, of course, it's almost, it's almost like all the characters in Dark City were, were uh, kind of modeled after him a little bit. Oh, it wasn't he was one of the guys that goes, sleep, like that? Yeah, but Barry Humphreys was uh, actually in quite a few films over there in, uh, in uh, uh, Australia, but also he's known as, and I forgot about this, but he's known as uh, Dame Edna. He does. The, oh. He does the Dame Edna character, so quite popular. He was in Howling Three, which is awesome. Yes, <laughs> is. the marsupials, as is known. Yeah, <laughs> check out some uh, Dame Edna Barry Humphreys. But yeah, he's a one of the famous uh, things they do in England where men dress as women, and it's considered comedy gold. Uh, I've never quite gotten that, but whatever. <laughs> no, because it, it doesn't work out so well over here. When you have people like Martin Lawrence as Big Mama. Oh, oh God, yes. Don't even, let's not even go there. <laughs> All right, so we get, uh, you know, like you say, Richard O'Brien doing some crazy things, uh, at one point coming out of a toilet. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting stuff. Uh, the plot is really just an excuse to have the girls kind of move around and do different things. 
I did like the alien scene quite a bit. That was nice. Uh, it did help that Mel B's outfit was nice, the camouflage bikini type thing she had on. That was nice. Uh, one of the aliens, of course, the first thing, even an alien comes down from outer space, the first thing he wants to do is grab a Spice Girl's uh, tit. So that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jerry has to kiss one of them with a clearly very rubber, strange face on the aliens and stuff. It was It was pretty funny. Uh, again, I think it was a comment too that even uh, that their music was so pop and their sound and their appearance and everything so pop that even aliens can't help but be infected by their, you know, their sound and things. So I think that was a comment. I might be looking too deep into that, but I think that was also another comment that being made. Otherwise, maybe they just wanted to put aliens in a film. Maybe they had a prop <laughs> and they just wanted to put aliens in the <laughs> film, like an Ed Wood type thing. Like, oh yeah, by the way, I got a hold of this prop. <laughs> The UFO looks like the UFO in the, what is it, Strange Encounters of the Third Kind? Yeah, or? Close Encounters of the close Third encounters. Kind. Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Uh, yeah, you get the uh, not-so-pleasant Italian stereotypes of the uh, nice beefcake-y men. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Again, I couldn't uh, stop looking at the men. And, uh, again, I think that was another comment by the director and by the Spice Girls themselves that, you know, because they are looked upon as objects more than they're looked upon as musicians. Uh, kind of the way it is, and you know, not that that's a bad thing. They're attractive girls, and and you know that you sell on that and stuff, and that, that's just the way it goes. I really don't have a whole lot more to add to the. Uh, there's a lot of great cameos. Uh, the film's put together pretty well. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's a great film because it's not a great film, but for what it is, it's pretty ingenious in the way it kind of presents itself. So that's that's really basically my review for the film because that's that's the way I see it. I mean, for what it is. It does what it does very well. And that might all sound kind of goofy and shit and that it don't make any sense, but it, it knows what it is, and that's the key. I, from Justin to Kelly, didn't know what the fuck it was, or at least it thought it knew what it was, and then it, did, it couldn't pull it off. This one knows what it is, and the people that are all in the film, like uh, Bob Hoskins, who's a very serious and very good actor, uh, Elton John, you name it, Hugh Laurie, Meatloaf, Mark McKinney, all these people, they all knew what they were making. And uh, they were just having fun. And it, it's kind of infectious, and it kind of comes through in the film, I think. So uh, that's it. I think I'll go to you for an MVT and uh, make a break. Okay, my make a break is the, f- is the first scene on the bus uh, where it showed that they were game to put fun at themselves, celebrity, and, and all the trapping of fame, um, as well as sort of the redi- there you get to see the ridiculously large moving bat cave that the Spice Girls have. So that's what really made it for me. I knew what I was in for, and I just kind of smiled and thought, okay, good. This is what it's going to be. It's what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I'm, I'm in. I, I bought it. Um, my MVT is, obviously, I don't think you can get around this for the most part. Um, it's the girls and the idea to keep the tone sort of light and winking and, and knowing, like you said. Um, keeping them in an element that's comfortable and always being very aware of the preposterous, excuse me, the preposterousness of the situation was the most valuable thing about the film. Um, my score for the film was a 6.5 out of 10. Like I said, I really enjoyed this, and if I did see this in a cheap bin at Walmart, uh, the $5, the $5 thing, I would certainly pick it up, and I would watch the special features, because like I said, uh, they were a phenomenon when I was in high school, and um, and I, like I said, this was a really good, It's this to me is sort of the definition of a guilty pleasure, and I really did enjoy it. Nice, nice. Yeah, my... My thoughts are pretty much along the same way. My MVT is obviously the Spice Girls. I mean, you can't really... I mean, the movie's built around them. They're the thing you want to watch the most on the film. And, they, you know, they're not great actors, but uh, they command the screen well. So that you don't always have to be a great actor to hold the camera and hold the screen. And they hold the screen well, even with the you know more prominent actors in the film and stuff. Even with the great meatloaf, they hold the screen well. So 
Oh, Rudy Ray Moore <laughs> proves that you don't need to be a good actor to hold the screen. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> my uh, make or break. My make or break's an odd one, uh, and I'm going to pick one scene. Uh, there's several things in it that I liked, but my make or break is really at the very end of the film, uh, the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. I really had a lot of fun with that. Uh, I kind of wish in a lot of ways some of the rest of the film was a little bit more self-conscious like that was. That was a lot of fun where they were kind of talking into the camera a little bit more and things like that. And I think it could have went a little bit more meta and been, uh, I would have given this a higher score. Uh, but as it is, it still stands, stands pretty good. And I'll give it a six out of 10, uh, just a little bit lower than yours. Uh, it's, it's very much above average. It's a good time. Uh, it's one of those films that I think we talked about this off the air that, you know, like if I was sitting down to have a bowl of cereal in the morning before I go to work and it was on cable, I'd, I'd watch it for 20 minutes. You know what I mean? It's that kind of movie. It's kind of infectious, you know, just like the Spice Girls music, really. So uh, I hope everybody uh, checks it out at least once. I mean, uh, and and guys, some people are going to hate it. Don't get us wrong. I mean, I know some people won't get it or some people won't care for it. But if you enjoy looking at some uh, nice-looking women and uh, some goofy English humor, uh, I think you'll enjoy the movie. Absolutely. There's lots of jiggling and lots of lighthearted moments. And let me just say that most of the Spice Girls are still very attractive. I just saw Mel B not too long ago, and wow. Oh, wow. She looks fantastic. <laughs> yeah, these, these women have uh, aged well. So, yeah, that's all I'll say. Uh, let me uh, go to break and take care of the wood problem I'm having. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we shall go to break, and we will be back with listener feedback. Hello. Testing. <sighs> okay. So, this is Miss Bren, and I just got back. You would think, well, all right. So, I was out, I had to get supplies, and I came back, and I don't know where Brother B is. He's gone, and I don't know where to look for him. I just wish I would have watched some more of the zombie movies that he had told me to watch, because... Maybe then I would know. Maybe he's some place. If anybody has any idea where he is or any suggestions, just let me know. MailOrderZombie.com. Please. All right. So we are back with some feedback. Uh, we got one email and uh, several voicemails. I'm going to go ahead and read the email now. This is from Emily, one of our good friends. Uh, she says, Hey, you manly cunts. This is the title, of course, Zig Zig. Idle. Ziga zig idle. Yeah, that's it. Says, hey, you manly cunts. Uh, just want to wish you both a happy viewing week and Sammy an extra happy birthday. There's something I'm about to confess which feels much easier to type than say out loud because, well, even I, who owns the special editions of both Mommy Dearest and Showgirls, has a slightly hard time admitting that I paid to see Spice World in the theater. I'd like to chalk it up this up to being 15 at the time and at the early stages of developing a love for kitsch. But I can't lie, I once made a special workout CD which featured more than one of their greatest hits, and on especially sluggish days, some British pop enthusiasm remains the only thing that can get me moving. Also, despite my constant pleas, I annually fail to convince my friends that dressing up like spice zombies is a great idea. Now that I've lost my any film cred, uh, from Justin to Kelly, on the other hand, may very well have been used at Abu Ghraib when waterboarding proved ineffective. <laughs> there is one glimmer of equality in Annika Noni Rose, who I saw give a fantastic Tony-winning performance on Broadway and went on to be in one of the best but most underrated things, or went on to be one of the best and but most underrated things in the Dreamgirls film. Still, from Justin to Kelly is, well, at least we can thank it for putting an end to the nauseating epidemic known as Justin Guarini. So uh, there we go. Emily's uh, take on these two films that uh, come from Bill's personal collection are uh, interesting, to say the least. I don't know what you want to add to that, uh, 
she did not a fan of Justin either. Uh, so yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I apologize if we seem short with this, Emily. We're having some audio problem. Pull back the curtain a bit. Um, I'm glad you admitted the Spice Girls thing. I listen. I mean, they were very much of that time, and I don't think anyone would be lying if they didn't find at least one of their songs either catchy or found the girls attractive. Um, I think Spice Zombies is an absolutely brilliant idea. And you convince your friends, us, us zombies, send us a picture in the show. Um, yeah, again, Justin Guarini gets hate. And like I said, um, I'm not a fan of the guy, but I think he has a good voice. So we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Yes, we will. Good old Justin. Taking, some, taking a beating today. <laughs> oh, well, he'll be, he'll, he'll be all right, I'm sure. All right, so we got some voicemails here. I'll go ahead and play the first one. Let's see what we got going on here. Hello, gentlemen. It's uh, good to be calling you. It's a fakest of shemps here. Uh, had to call because I just got done watching Martyrs. I'm about to uh, go start listening to the bonus episode, uh, finally, so I can get out of there and done with. And uh, I'm kind of excited to hear whether... Uh, I'm right or you're wrong. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got a bad feeling uh, you might be wrong on this, um, but we'll, we'll we'll see. But I got to tell you something, Willie. Willie, it's it's not better than Inside. It's I mean that one that that I could tell you right off the bat. Um, man, it. I'm glad I walked into it. I'm glad you guys convinced me to keep uh, from knowing the spoilers and all that because it uh, led to something. But. Uh, when it finally got to that something, I'm not sure. Uh, All right, peace. He kept calling well, back, so Willie, uh, I just kept playing. <laughs> uh, I still have a half hour to go on the bonus episode for Martyrs, but I got to tell you, I, I have a feeling I'm going to really disagree with you on that. I mean, the idea that you can't call it torture porn. I mean, I I see what they're doing, but then for 20 minutes. All I get to watch is what they're doing. And in the end, I guess what it all comes down to is that uh, I don't, I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I haven't had her to go, so I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts because I liked, I liked some insight. You know, maybe it could change my, it could sway my opinion. But uh, honestly, that last fucking half hour, because you got, yeah, actually, here you go. You guys separated into three movies, and it's actually only two. There's one. And it goes to a certain spot, and then bam, it becomes another. And let me tell you something. That first movie, I fucking loved. I loved it. And then that second movie, I didn't give a shit about the reasoning. I don't give a shit about the payoff. All I do is feel bad. And not in a good way. Not like I walk out going, wow, that was really bleak, but that was really sweet. No, just really bleak for no other reason than being bleak. And it just, it, oh, the, man, that last half hour is really conflicting me. And I'm going to listen to this shit tomorrow about you guys talking about it because I'm a little too drunk right now and i got to go to bed because my roommate interrupted me and we had to go watch Two Hours of Lost. Boo <laughs> me. Uh, that's doing good, though. Um, but, man, that last half hour, man, it completely ruined the movie for me. Completely ruined it. And let me tell you something. I loved that first hour. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, keep up the good work. Very excited to listen to episode 26 tomorrow. So, All right, smooches. Hey, gentlemen. Uh, listening to episode 26 right now, and uh, 
Well, I don't know shit about Pusher. I kind of wanted to read, uh, see it after reading some reviews on Chud when the last Pusher film came out. Um, but the theatrical trailer for Bronson did nothing for me. Actually, I, I, I hated it. I think I've had this talk with Willie before. Um, but third film in a trilogy, better than anything else. Let me just bring it up. Paul Greengrass, The Bourne Ultimatum, the best film of that trilogy. And, well, unfortunately, we might be getting a fourth, uh, which I'm excited for because if they bring the same creative team back, fine. It, it could have ended, but it didn't have to. But that's really the only one I could. Do people really think, Samurai, that frickin' Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is better than Lost Ark? People? Really? People you know? You need to cut them loose. All right, guys. Um, love, Jay. Bye. One more. One more. And the next month will be at 120 degrees. So I just wanted to let you know that it's not cold everywhere. Ugh. Sometimes you miss the cold, gentlemen. All right. That was our wonderful friend Jay, who we haven't heard from in a very long time. We've been in communication with him, but we haven't heard his lovely voice in quite some time. Uh, he had a lot to say, and uh, it's good to hear from him again. We haven't heard from him. I don't know when the last time we heard from him was. It's been quite a while back, a couple of months at least. I think the beginning of January he left. But yeah, he had a lot to say. Uh I'll, I'll tackle my bits that I want to talk about first. Uh, yeah, I do know people who think the third Indiana Jones film is the best of the Indiana Jones trilogy or quadrilogy. Uh, I don't know what to say about that, but uh, I, I don't agree. I don't think it's the best one. I think that the first one is the best one. But, you know, I mean, that's just some people's taste. Some people like it, I think. Uh, but, yeah, the, the the Bronson trailer did nothing for him. I just posted, uh, oddly enough, they just put a two-minute trailer up for Valhalla Rising, the uh, – the next, uh, the other Nicholas Winding Refn film, the with Mads Mikkelsen, the Viking movie, uh, where he or Mads Mikkelsen plays a character named One Eye, which I'm excited about, and uh, I just posted that on the board, so you guys head over and check that out. Uh, pretty awesome trailer, I must say. So, for me, this is uh, still an exciting year if I'm if you're a Refn fan because it could be a good year for his films, and I like the Bronson trailer. I had no problems with it. Anything, anything else? No, no. I'll let you tackle the uh, martyr stuff. Okay. First of all, Jay, you're very wrong about Inside being a better film. Um, it's not a better film at all. It's a horror film. It's a very good horror film, but it tears over the edge into sort of splat, splat, splat ridiculousness in the last third. For me, uh, it, it finishes off well with that final shot, haunting final shot, but it's not the same. Man. Uh, I can't run with martyrs. As for the, the, the stuff about it being, um, I could not disagree with you more. Porn is meant to titillate and excite. None of the things in Martyrs are done to titillate or excite. They're not leering. So it is not torture porn. Of course the Bronson trailer did nothing for you. Why would it? Um, I can never figure you out, Jay. You're such an odd bird. No, just when I think I got you pegged, you flipped the script. Um yeah, I would say uh, between Bronson and Valhalla Rising, Sammy, I'm really excited for this for Refn. Um, it is very good to hear from Jay. Uh, I'm sorry it's so hot there, um, but it is good to hear your voice again, man. Um, and uh, we hope you like this show. Just like this show, just like the content. And I'd, I'd see Jay kind of liking Spice World, actually. Actually, uh, yeah, actually. yeah, I think so. I think so. I think you might be right, actually. All right, so we got some more voicemails here. Play another one. Hey, Jez, it's Sabrina again. Just got done listening to the new episode, and oh my god, the OTC guys shafted you. Um, I can't wait to hear 
you guys take on Spice World because, yes, it is a guilty pleasure. It's not as bad as uh, some people may make it out to be. But from Justin to Kelly, oh, good Lord. I'm sorry for you guys. Um, just <laughs> pop some pills, drink some booze, get through it as quickly as possible. Anyways, the reason I'm calling is I was listening to the Pusher Trilogy show today, and for some reason it got me to thinking about uh, some other stuff that uh, I hadn't seen mentioned as suggestions for you guys. So got to thinking, what I'd really like to see a Joe Don Baker show, because wow. I don't think I've heard anybody cover Joe Don Baker. And, <laughs> I mean, look at what you've got right there. Walking Tall, Classic Mitchell. I mean, those are just ripe to go all over. And then that also got me to thinking about your whole tough tits thing. <laughs> I was watching Omega Man recently. Oh, Lord. And, well, he's certainly no Roddy Piper in that. I did notice that I'd completely forgotten how much Charlton Heston has his shirt off in Omega Man. Just, ah, maybe the forerunner of the tough tits? I don't know. Anyways, just wanted to give you a quick shout-out, because uh, love the new episode, and uh, hope, just really cannot wait to see what you guys do for next week, because that's going to be amazing. Anyways, take care. All right, that was Sabrina. Yeah, Joe Don Baker is a good point. Uh, we we definitely love Joe Don Baker. Uh, he's one of the great tough guys of the seventies. We just haven't got around to any of his stuff yet. Or I don't think he's been in anything we've actually covered at all. Has he? Has he been in anything? No. And it's funny, Sabrina. You know, Joe Don Baker's right. Our wheelhouse, man. Like you said, we both love, love Joe Don, and I do know we have plans to cover one Joe Don film from Cinema de Bizarre in the not too distant future. And I also picked up Framed, which is a revenge film with Joe Don Baker that I think we'll cover a little further down the line. But yeah, I'm open to that. And, and Sabrina was was spot on Don Baker for us because, like you said, we both love him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, don't uh, even though uh, Baker's not in all the Walking Tall films, remember we are doing trilogy shows nowadays, and don't doubt that we won't hit the Walking Talls because uh, Walking Tall is awesome, but Walking Tall Part Two is awesome too with uh, Mr. Svensson, who we. Also, haven't covered very many films from, and he's also one of the great 70s tough guys who we're going to get around to covering more Svensson films. I love saying the name Svensson. <laughs> All right, so we got another voicemail here. Hey, guys, this is Kevin in Rockford. I don't know if you remember, but I wrote you an email a while back uh, requesting some fantasy or sword and sorcery. You called it Sword and Sandal. Uh, I had mentioned Hawk the Slayer. Uh, by the way, they're making a sequel to that. I believe it starts production this year called Hawk the Hunter. I didn't know if you know that. But anyway, during that email, I also mentioned a little film called uh, Flesh and Blood, or Flesh Plus Blood. Uh, so I was happy to hear that uh, we got a second vote for that for from Emily. So... I suggest you check it out. Good movie. I'll add something else to her uh, dog meat and catapults, and that would be uh, Naked Nuns. That's always good. <laughs> nice. Bye, guys. Wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Did he say Naked Nuns? We're sold. <laughs> yes, we are. Dog, dog, dog meat, dog catapults, and Naked Nuns. So, nice. Good stuff. Uh, now, I do want to say sorry, one more thing to jump back to Sabrina. 
Charlton Heston does have his shirt off a lot in Omega Man. Um, I know you and I are both big fans, and I was very pleasantly surprised the first time I saw it. There was an interracial kiss. Um, yes. So I didn't think he would have gone there, but I'm glad he did because yes. uh, I love a woman with an afro, and so does Chuck Heston, apparently. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 my joke has always been for Omega Man, uh, which I wouldn't mind covering on the show at some point. My joke for Omega Man has always been that if you play a drinking game with Heston taking his shirt off, man, you'd be lit up by 30 minutes in because he takes his shirt off, seems like, every five minutes in that film. Yeah, he does for no reason other than to take it off and yeah. show off his hairy 60, chest. Yeah, sixty-year-old chest, which is uh, in pretty good shape for his age. So, yeah, all right, not uh, Stallone shape. Now he uh, he talked about uh, just you know the Hawk the Slayer stuff and everything like that. Uh, yeah, we know there's a sequel in the works. Uh, we don't know much else about it. I, I think it might be actually a prequel. I don't I don't really know, but uh, if we do plan on covering Hawk the Slayer, it is on the agenda upcoming. So look forward to that. Uh, not really much else to add. I'm going to definitely have to check out Flesh and Blood. Uh, uh, again, I think I've seen it before. I'm pretty sure I have seen it, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, but we, I watch so many films now, I can't even remember what I've seen and what I haven't seen. Yeah, I don't know if you run into yeah. that, but I, that's that's what I run into now. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, yeah, I think I've seen that, and I don't know, and then I have to watch it to remember it. So maybe that's a sign of aging. So. <laughs> yeah, no, my dad's that way a lot, and I do want to say that we will get a Conquest Review. We did it. I mean, a few episodes back, but it got sort of lost in the ether. It'll be posted. We'll do another review of it uh, sometime in the not too too distant future. Yep, we will. All right, another voicemail. Here we go. Hello, gents. It's Spot from Atlanta. Uh, great show. I love what you guys do. I've, I've talked. I've talked to both of you guys through uh, I think Facebook, and uh, I've been meaning to call you for a while now. Um, great show again. Um, <laughs> Kind of embarrassed to admit this, but uh, back when DVDs were first coming out and all that, and, um, I had a friend that worked in a movie store, and they had some promotional stuff that they were that they had gotten, and they were giving away. They still had some stuff left, and he comes up to me and says, "Hey, you want a free DVD?" It's like, "Sure." I haven't had I hadn't gotten one yet. Um, at that point, and he gave me a free DVD, and I still own it to this day. Um, that free DVD is Spice World. Yes, it is a um, it, it is a guilty pleasure. It's, you don't watch it for plot. It's it's kind of like porn with without nudity in a way. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Weird way, I don't know why. <laughs> anyway. Um, Oh, and in response to uh, the feedback section, I'm going to do my my best uh, Randy Savage. Here you go. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide, bringing glass to me since 1977. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, spotting Atlanta again. I just remembered something I wanted to tell you. Um, you guys have kind of inspired me a little bit. Um, it's kind of funny. I uh, I rented the video game SmackDown vs. Raw in 2009, and you can create wrestlers. So I created, to the best of my knowledge and thought process and intentions, the uh, the Tough Tips Tag Team. Um, <laughs> you know, and it, it 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 looks great. I even have uh. uh Half shirts and nice. red leather pants. Awesome. And all that fun stuff. Pink half shirts. Yes, got 
have the pink hat shirts. <laughs> uh, yes, the Tough Tits tag team uh, does now exist. I wish I was on Xbox Live. I'm going to try to try to sign up as soon as I get uh, moved in to my new place. Uh, and I'm trying to get a screen capture of it or something like that and give you something to laugh about. But yes, Tough Tits, Tough Tits tag team. That's hard to say. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, yeah, you got to get a screen capture of the Tough Tits tag team to us. We would love that. Yes, that and the Macho Man impression made my day. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, anybody that can do a Macho Man impersonation is always impressive to me because whenever you do that, you pretty much shred your vocal cords. And uh, I've, I can do one a little bit, which I'm not going to do today because I need my voice because I use my voice at work. Uh, but it will it'll literally just shred my vocal cords, so. That's a tough impersonation to do, to say the least. But it was a very good spot. That was uh, spot on. So spot on there, spot. So there we go. Yes, and and I do want to say that I'm glad, again, it seems to be a sentiment that people are saying that Spice World is a guilty pleasure, and I'm glad that Bill picked it for us. Um, And I want to encourage more Macho Man impersonations. The more, the better. And in (laughs) fact, we need to turn that, Sammy, if it's possible, into a little promo for the show. We possibly could do that. Yeah, we need to. We need some. Uh, you guys. Uh, anybody that does any good uh, Macho Man impersonations can do some. Uh, some of our taglines like "Bring Class to the Trash" since 1977, or whatever you want to say. Some of the other uh, GGTMC glossary terms. Uh, call in if you get some more. Uh, and Spot, don't uh, refrain from calling in again if you want to redo that or anything. I'll do what I can with that piece of audio, but uh, call on back in, and uh, you don't. Well, I don't have to play it on the air. I can just put it in a promo. Whatever the case, just. Uh, Anybody that's inspired enough to do some uh, Macho Man, we're we're down for it. Oh, there's always room for the madness. Yes. All right. <laughs> the madness. All right. Uh, one last voicemail here. We'll play and play this. Hi, Demise. I feel like I haven't talked to you guys in a while, so I thought I'd call and talk to you about your use of foul language and how offensive you are to us women out here. And I must say that if there's anybody out there that could use the word cunt and make it sound completely unoffensive and benign, you guys are getting pretty good at that. And that's completely a compliment. There's couple of shows I've listened to that the guy cusses and you swear he's just trying to compensate for how nerdy he seems or how <laughs> tiny, you know, squeaky his voice is or something. And it always seems to be those guys that cuss even more and they're the most vulgar. And you guys are hardly ever vulgar. And when you do, it's pretty hilarious and definitely has not been offensive in the slightest. So don't sweat it. I don't think you're losing anybody. And if you are, you probably wouldn't care anyway because they're probably not worth it because that's what you're supposed to say, right? I'll talk to you guys later and keep up the great show. All right, that was Demise. You know, I, I, here, here's how I feel about uh, foul language. I always feel like it's a, it's a lost art. I feel like it was a, it was best used in the uh, 70s, and unfortunately it's not really done well now. Nowadays it's more rude than anything, and I do have to agree with her. I think we use it as tastefully as we can, considering the words we have to use. So uh, I do appreciate the uh, sentiments there, uh, Demise, because uh, saying the word cunt is never fun, but... Uh, I think uh, Large William brings a bit of poetry to the word. Well, uh, thank you for that. that. That's a compliment, Sammy. And she's become a real real good part of the, uh, the GGTC uh, family. And uh, I thank her for kind words. And, you know, like you and I always say, we always second-guess a lot of things. Are we too vulgar? Da, 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 da. But uh, it's heartening again to know that uh, when we say cunt, uh, <laughs> we're not going to get stoned uh, by the villagers. Yes, that's good. We uh, we don't appreciate the word uh, as far as uh, our personal favorite word, but it is a good word to use in moments of high emotion or 
just to kind of get a laugh. And just saying the words "Kurt the Cunt" always still it still makes me laugh. So, well, I I got I told you, Sammy, when I listened back to the episode and I heard you say the funny about cunt is. I just said howling. <laughs> yeah, that's a good time. All right, so that's it for our feedback this week. Uh, I'm going to go over what we have here for the end. Uh, make sure to check out all the Pop Syndicate shows, the Pop Syndicate website, uh, celebrating three years. Uh, our sister shows are over there, and a lot of other good shows are over there as well. Uh, check out Andy's show, Destroy the Brain, DestroyTheBrainOnline.com, Chinstroker vs. Punter, guys, at com. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, Mondo Movie Guys at MondoMovie.com. Make sure to show, uh, check out Dylan and Christine's uh, magazine, Paracinema, Paracinema.net. I can't uh, promote that enough. Great people there. Uh, for all your hard-to-find cinematic needs, go check out CinemaDayBazaar.com. Uh, we should be doing an interview with them pretty soon. I know we've been saying that for a while, but as you can probably hear in this week's episode, we've had technical difficulties all over the map. We're going to get those figured out, and we're going to get that hammered out, so don't worry about it. Uh, HorrorCommentary.com, that's Sean's website. Make sure to check that out. Uh, keep voting for us, Podcast Alley. Vote from our website. We'd really appreciate that, uh, ggtmc.com. Uh, make sure to leave us a review at iTunes. Uh, we really love those reviews, so keep uh, leaving them. And uh, Next month, we're going to be doing a whole listener content month, so we're not drawing any listener content stuff for May, but we will probably figure out some kind of drawing again in uh, May, maybe for another DVD or something. I don't know. I'll we'll figure it out, but we'll see. That's about all I got, really, as far as the pleasantries and stuff. Uh, our voicemail, 206-666-5207, and our email is midnightcinema.gmail.com. That's midnight, M-I-D-N-I-T-E, cinema, at gmail.com. So uh, that sounds like that's been the week. We lost a bet, and uh, but we managed to get through it with flying colors, and hopefully the audio on this episode, uh, people can enjoy it. Uh, uh, if not, guys, I apologize. We, we I don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on to pull the curtain back a little bit, uh, but we will get it figured out and hammered out, I promise. Uh, yeah, I can promise you it's not for the lack of effort. I mean, we've been banging our heads against the keyboard all morning here. Uh, we've spent a long, long time, probably an hour longer than possible, just ironing out some technical difficulties. So it's not for lack of effort. Uh, a couple of personal things I do say that I do want cinema-de-bazaar.com. They got some great new titles up uh, I'm really excited to get into. Um, and as far as what we're covering next week, Sammy, do you want to uh, touch on that? Uh, I haven't really actually even thought about what I was going to cover. Did we we talk about ahead of time what we were going to cover next week? Uh, well, I know on our end, on my end, we're covering from Cinema de Cinema Man, Man from Kong, the Jimmy Wang Yu, Brian Trenchard Smith epic. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of in the mood. I'm really in the mood for something we haven't done yet, and I know we have one yellow on our on our uh, schedule, but I actually uh, just bought a copy of uh, Sergio Martino's Torso. Are you in the mood to do some Torso? I am because I own Torso, so I'm totally down for that. Yeah, I'm kind of in the mood. I mean, I know we got another one on our schedule, but uh, I just got a hold of a copy of this, and uh, I really want to watch it. So I think let's let's do Torso. Let's do Torso and the Man from Hong Kong. Rock and roll. All right, should be a good time. So you guys uh, join us next week. Uh, we'll be doing the Man from Hong Kong and Torso. And uh, with that, I'll say my adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.